Yeah, hello, good morning. Yes, there is so many people here today. Super cool. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for watching online. Um, when I'm up here, I'm pretty nervous. So, like, if you wanted to recap the last time I was up here, I dropped the iPad. So, so far, we're doing better than before. <laughs> but um, this week, um, I get to announce something that I am so excited for. Um, this is, like... I don't know, this is like my heartbeat is already going, not just from being up here, but just because I'm so excited for this next season. Um, And so I get to talk about youth ministry this morning. Let's go. So um, something that's super exciting this this upcoming year is that we have a ton of adults um, that are going to be in middle school and high school youth groups. So we just went from one to two separate youth groups, which like that is super cool in itself. And to have more um, adult voices Um, in their lives is going to be super cool for them to see Jesus in so many different ways in each other's lives. So I'm super excited for that. Um, So the first thing is going to be high school group. And so next week, we're going to do like a little back to school um, lunch with all the high school students um, and the adult leaders. So it's like a little meet and greet and get to know each other and also just like be excited for the start of the school year because it's happening. It's September. Yeah, crazy. It's summer. It's now September. Um, So we're going to be doing that um, next week. And then um, high school youth group starts Monday, September 26th. So that's going to be from 7 to 9. I'm super pumped about it. It's going to be rocking this year. So and then on the flip side, so we have another youth group. It's going to be middle school. um, It's going to be starting um, October 6th on Thursdays from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Both of those are going to be in the downstairs building, and like I said, there's going to be so many, like, adults, kids, um, and it's just going to be really set up for um, our youth group to grow um, together um, in Christ and um, in each other's lives and just have, like, peer-to-peer connection, which is really valuable um, at that um, time. So, Abby, Emma, I see a couple of people in here, you know, Jacob, Michaela, I know, so you guys are, I'm going to see you guys here real soon, so shout you guys out. Um, And then on top of that, we're doing a um, middle school retreat in October, um, which is super exciting because we went on a retreat last year, and we paired up with another C and MA church, and it went, like, it was so much fun, and it was like our small group and their small group, and got together, super cool. This year, we're going to combine with them again, should be a little bit bigger, it's down at Black Diamond Camp in Auburn, if some of you guys have been there, um, it's a lot of fun, and I'm really looking forward to it, and we have a, a good group that's going to, so I'm, I'm pumped about that, and then, I think that leads right into communication cards. Oh, okay. So if you needed more info about youth ministry, um, you can fill out your communication card, um, which leads into communication cards. Fill those out. We love to hear from you um, and just to get the update of how your summer went and uh, what you're excited about. Just want to hear from you because we love it. That's all I got this morning. I'm super pumped. Um, Hopefully those middle schoolers and high schoolers are pumped too, along with the adults that are going to be there. So let's go. Bryce, you're up.
Good morning. <laughs> uh, it's good to be with you again, church family. Uh, I call you family because I feel like I know you pretty well. You don't even have to introduce me anymore. That's a cool thing, you know. Um, I was going to mention something. I love the worship here, Rebecca. I love it when you're leading worship and the team you work with here. Um, I, I love the worship at uh, Brookview. But uh, I was going to mention something. When I first saw you leading here, I think it was probably the first time I was preaching, you were up here leading and you were going like, like this. You know what I mean? And I was going, wow, man, she's got some dance moves going up there. Because like we did that in the 70s. You weren't even born yet. I know that. But, you know, and now I totally get it. And I prepare myself for the repeat, you know. <laughs> That's what I should have done to the music. You know what I mean? Anyway. I love it. I love it. Anyway, um, so good to see you today. And man, yeah, what a, what a full house today. Thanks for getting out of your tents after that uh, campfire coffee you had and making it here. That's awesome. Um, it, was a, it was a real treat to uh, see Pastor Kelly Boffman and his wife, Kathy, from Mountain View Community walk in this morning. Yeah, you have another pastor in here this morning, so be careful. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and, and both of you guys have been involved in ministry for years. Um, at Mountain View, your role was pastoral care, kind of, wasn't it? Yeah, so all the, the counseling, recovery, hospital visitation, and all that. And Kathy, I know you've been really actively involved there as well for a number of years. So, so fun to see you guys walk in this morning. So, I feel I'm with friends, and I didn't see any tomatoes. So, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Um, I don't know how your summer's been, but, you know, you can definitely tell the weather's changing, right? In this next year, uh, in this next week, I know it's probably not going to crank up quite as hot as it's been, but I've had a great summer. I got to go back to Montana and visit family, and um, I had a staycation at home where I worked on some projects and finally got a dream accomplished. I've got a big concrete pad in the backyard, and I, I uh, hired a buddy to put a covering over it. And so now I'm looking at how to fix that up underneath. So I have a little outdoor place and all that kind of stuff. And just kind of fun because you think in Washington, we have pretty mild temperatures. Um, I, I grew up in Montana and it's like, you're not going to go sit on your back deck during the winter time. But out here, you know, if it's drizzling rain, as long as you're covering overhead, you can enjoy the outdoors. So that's uh, been something fun for me. So anyway. Um, Kicking into school, if you know anything about what I do, I'm up at Smoky Point Community Church, and I uh, am dean of uh, a ministry school up there called Reach Training Institute. And so I am recruiting. I see a number of young adults here. Um, if you feel God's call in your life for ministry, and uh, you think RTI might be a good option for your ministry degree and getting licensed, uh, for ministry, I'd love to chat with you more. So just know that that option's out there too. And uh, would love to see God fulfill his dream and his purposes in your life. Anyway, I'm going to get into the sermon today. Um, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt something was incredibly unfair? Maybe you didn't voice your dissatisfaction out loud, but inwardly you were shouting, this is so unfair. 
Let me throw some scenarios out there. Jog your memory. Maybe it was when you were young and uh, your older siblings got more privileges. They got to go to the movies and you had to stay at home. Maybe it was at your job. Maybe you had a lot of years, a good work history at the company, years of loyalty, and, and yet you found yourself overlooked for a promotion and it was given to another who was perhaps less qualified and competent. And inside you're going, this, this isn't fair. Maybe, uh, maybe you put your child in sports and most of the season they sat on the bench and you found yourself as a parent going, this is so, so incredibly unfair. Or maybe you're in the Costco parking lot, you see an empty parking space, you put on your turn signal and somebody darts in ahead of you. And beyond the gestures, you're saying to yourself, this is so, so unfair. You know what, I, th I think we've all had experience, that might have jogged your memory a little bit, but I think we've all had those kind of situations and scenarios where there's just something in us that says, you know what, this doesn't seem fair at all. I was thinking back to a, a short-term mission trip. I've been to Russia. Most of my mission trip experience was in Russia. And I think my first trip was back in 2000. And um, catching flights and disembarking from foreign countries, to me, that's all intimidating. I love it when I land over there, get into the project, meet the people, but I don't care for the travel a whole lot. Um, and some of that includes cultural reasons. I found out quickly on my trip to Russia that I was very Americanized when it came to travel protocol. Um, in America, we know what it is to stand in line and wait. I mean, it's a fair way to go. Go to SeaTac if you're going to go through security. We have well laid out lanes of traffic that are way too well organized for any mice, for sure. <laughs> we know how it is to work through all this stuff. We, we stay in our lane. We wait our turn. We know the rules. So my first trip to Russia, we're at the airport. As a team, we're all lined up. There is one gate that takes you to whatever your flight is. And uh, the gate opens. And all of a sudden, it's just a mad rush from every direction. And I remember standing there just going, this is so unfair. We've been standing here. We've been waiting our turn. We've been doing it right. We've been in line. And everybody just merged from every direction. They're cutting in line. They should have had policemen handing out tickets. You know, um, it was chaotic. But you know what I've realized is that chaotic system is a pretty common way of doing things in other countries. And uh, <laughs> it works. So um, the cool thing is, I think my last trip in Russia was 2019, and I noticed that they were actually starting to actually have some well-formed lines <laughs> for traveling. And I appreciate that as an American, you know. Well, we're going to look at a parable today. It's called The Laborers in the Vineyard from Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 to 16. And we're going to encounter some people in the story that felt things were very, very unfair. And we're going to learn some things out of this parable. Now, I don't know if you grew up uh, hearing a definition for parable. I had heard it as a child that it was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And then... Um, a couple months ago, I was, I was reading a book, and the author said, no, it's a heavenly story with an earthly meaning. 
I kind of like that one too. A heavenly story with an earthly meaning. But really, to understand the story that Jesus is sharing, uh, we have to understand the setting in which the parable was told because this gives context. This helps us understand what Jesus was really trying to share in this parable. So really, we have to back it up into Matthew chapter 19, a prior discussion that Jesus is having with a wealthy man. And this man had come to him and he asked Jesus this question. This was his conversation starter. Hey, good teacher, what, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, obey the commandments. And the wealthy man comes back and he goes, well, which ones? Now, that's kind of interesting because he knew the commandments. I bet he had memorized them since he was a kid. I, I think this man wanted to see that he had completed the checklist, the do list. And Jesus points back to the Ten Commandments and the wealthy man implies that he's kept them all. He says, then he says this, what do I still lack? Now that's interesting and I think it's kind of a practical point. If your faith is all about what you do that makes you acceptable to God, you will never know when you've done enough. There's no insurance with, uh, assurance with that. Well, there's no insurance with that either. <laughs> well, State Farm maybe. No, just kidding. You will never know if you've done enough. So the natural question, what more do I need? What more do I need? Jesus responds, and really, he starts to address some deeper issues. He says, well, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. You see, Jesus already knew what stood in the way for this man. It was his wealth. That's where his treasure was. And the scripture says this man was saddened, and he walked away. I think he was saddened because he kind of wanted that life, but he didn't want to give up what he had. And uh, on a practical level, God knows what stands in our way. It may not be wealth, it might be something else, but God knows. Jesus then proceeds to share with his disciples that it's difficult for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And it surprised the disciples, but Peter's a thinker. Peter's already thinking, oh, man, we've left everything to follow you. What then is there going to be for us? I mean, we've left our boats, we've left our nets, we've left our careers, our 401ks, we left it all. What's there going to be for us? And I don't know, maybe Peter was thinking there's got to be some pretty good treasures going on for us with all we've given up. And Jesus said, you'll receive much. But then he goes with this line, many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. I don't know if the disciples, I don't think they got it from start one. Um, frankly, uh, it seems to be a little confusing. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. It's as if Jesus is making clear things in the kingdom don't quite work the way you think they do. Now, if I was standing there that day, uh, I would probably have to say that doesn't sound very American. You know? I, I grew up with the statement the early bird gets the worm. Really, there's a reward to being first in line, especially if you're in the lunch line, you know? 
there's an advantage. In my mind, the first go first and the last wait their turn. You know, if you put in the work to get into line first, you have to get there earlier. I think the first should go first. And the last, wait your turn. But God doesn't work the way that I, I see things. He works differently. He's not subject to my view of rank, file, order, even my idea of fairness. To further illustrate how God works, Jesus then launches into this parable. And so we're going to read just the first eight verses of Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 to 8. And I'll begin. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others still standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Not a complicated story, a very common situation in that day, a lot of vineyards in the area. And certainly um, landowners would need help during the harvest season. And uh, apparently the Home Depot of the day was in the marketplace where they would find day laborers, you know? And, um, and typically they were poor. They would wait, hope to find work so they could put food on the table for their family. And typically it was literally hand to mouth. Um, whatever they would gain working that day would then go to the market to buy food and then they'd take it home for the family. So the first workers were hired at 6 a.m., they had agreed on a wage, one denarius, which was a common day's wage. Uh, you might call it medium wage of the day, minimum wage. Later at 9 a.m., he goes back into town and he hires some more. And, and the landowner just says, I'll give you what is right. They trust him. There's no red flags. They assume they'll be paid proportionate to their time on the job. And then again, the landowner goes at noon and then 3 p.m. and gets more workers to work in his field. And finally, it's 5 p.m. Everybody's going to knock off work at 6. 5 p.m. And the landowner goes back in and finds more laborers standing there, asks them why they're standing there. We haven't been hired. We're willing to work. He hires them. Now, this part of the story is a bit unusual. A landowner wouldn't typically hire some workers to just work the last hour. Um, but, but Jesus is telling the story. And when Jesus tells a story, he can tell it any way he wants to, right? <laughs> it could suggest something about God's care and concern for the poor. We're going to hit that again a little bit later. So 6 p.m. rolls around. The landowner says to the foreman, go pay the workers, but start with those that were hired last. Now, that would have been unusual, too. Normally, they would start paying the guys that have been there longer. That uh, would have been the protocol. But let's pick it up again in verse 9 through 12. The workers who were hired in the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. 
So when those who were hired first, when it came to those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour. And you've made them, you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. This is where things kind of go sideways. I don't know, as a listener, maybe, maybe some emotions start to surface in you if you've got any sense of fairness. <laughs> but you got to say, those that were hired last were very happily surprised. I'm sure they were appreciative. They had been treated well and way beyond their expectations. And uh, we love it when we're blessed with such a surprise, right? You ever gotten more than you really earn? I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was thinking this can play out in a lot of different scenarios, but one of my extended family members loves to shop at thrift stores. And um, one time she bought a fanny pack from Goodwill. I'm sure she paid under 10 bucks for it. Took it home and opened it up, and there was 1,600 euros in it. Woohoo! Talk about a good day at the thrift store, because uh, looking at the exchange rate, euros and a dollar are pretty, pretty on par, you know? It's like $1,600 for a... We're all going to Goodwill after the service today. I know, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, it's right on my way home, you know? <laughs> Yet, I have to say, if I was one of the workers that were hired first in the day... And I know, I read the end of the story. I, I get that, and you have too. But I imagine we'd be thinking, if they get a denarius, and they only worked one hour, and I've been here all day, this is going to be good. Don't you think? I, I'd be thinking that. I'd be going, man, this is, I'd be already spending the extra money in my mind, you know? Yet, when the foreman hands out the wage, even those who had worked in the hot sun all day long and had the calluses to prove it, they got one denarius. How's that set with you? Does that seem fair? No, it really doesn't. Their response was one of anger. This isn't fair. We worked hard all day long. We've been out in the sun working hard. How dare you make those late workers equal to us? And their gratitude for getting a job for the day suddenly turned sour. The boss now looks like an unfair jerk. In today's world, we'd probably be looking forward to a conversation with our union rep. We'd be filing a complaint with HR. We'd be considering some legal action. This isn't fair. What's Jesus' response? Or what's the landowner's response? Verse 13, but he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious that I'm so generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. That annoying statement again. <laughs> so the last will be first. No way. No, the first will be first. Come on. The last will be first, the first will be last. Now, notice as he begins the conversation, he says, friend. He's not, he's not coming down hard on this guy. He's actually 
uh, giving kind of a gentle reasoning response. You agreed to the pay. It's a fair wage. Can I do with my money what I want? Or are you jealous that I'm just so generous? And then wraps it up with that nasty line. Oh, the, the last will be first and the first will be last. Doesn't that grate on you a little bit? Jesus is making a very critical point. His disciples need to understand, and we need to understand as well, and it's this. The vineyard owner, really God himself, is not subject to our idea of fairness. Uh -uh. But it's so much better. In fact, he is lavishly generous and full of grace. That nasty tagline really isn't nasty at all. It actually is showing something of the character of God that is so much better than any sense of fairness. His kingdom operates different. It's not based on work and reward. It's on grace and mercy. Let me share three things out of this parable that challenges our view. It challenges our view of God. It challenges our view of salvation. And it challenges our view of others. It challenges our view of God. How do you view the, the landowner by the end of the story? Does it bother you a bit that he hired those last and they got the same wages as those that worked all day? Now, I said something about the compassion of God. Do you realize those last workers, they had families to feed too. Maybe this says something about the, the compassion of God. Do you feel angry that someone got blessed with something they didn't earn or deserve? Do you love the landowner because he's so generous and gracious? Do you find yourself praising God when others are blessed by his incredible generosity? Years ago, one of our uh, attendees had a father who was dying and, and he didn't have a relationship with the Lord. She asked if I would visit her father. I had the privilege of sharing Christ with him. And her father ended up praying as he gave his life to Christ. His name was Grady. Just a few days later, he passed away. You know, in a sense, he came to Christ in the 11th hour. He didn't have years of faithful service. He didn't have a long track record of serving God and living for God. And yet, God is gracious. God is generous. The first will be last, and the last will be first. You know what, Grady? Grady got the full meal deal in the 11th hour. Psalm 145, 8 9 says this, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. So really, this parable challenges our view of God. It challenges our view of salvation. You know, if it's a wage that we want, if it is, I work and I earn some kind of merit with God, the Bible tells us we've already earned our wages. In fact, it says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We've earned that. If we're going to be rewarded for our own merit, we're in a world of hurt. R.C. Sproul says this, If we were to try to list everything God owes us, it would be the easiest task we were ever assigned. 
one we could complete in record time. The truth is, he owes us nothing except his wrath as punishment for our sins. David Platt says it this way, God doesn't owe us salvation for something we have done. He gives us salvation despite everything we've done. Hmm. I resonate with that because I, I've done a lot. Yeah, and God has been so gracious to me. Thank you, God. Our hope is in the second half of that verse, Romans 6, 23. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's our hope. I have a friend that works at Costco. I might have mentioned Bill before uh, to you guys. I remember we were doing a series, I think, on uh, evangelism and neighboring. That was it, neighboring. Um, I've had some interesting conversations with him. I can tell he's on the merit system in his own understanding of spiritual matters. And, and he knows I'm a pastor uh, the way we kind of got our relationship deeper. He used, to, he used to work at the front door, so he'd be checking everybody out, and I'm a Costco member, you know, so I'm going through, and finally I get to know his name, and I start, how you doing, Bill, and all this kind of stuff. And one Sunday, I decided to put Bill in my weekend message. Well, a lot of our people shop at Costco. <laughs> yeah, so can you imagine after the service, everybody running to Costco and they see Bill and they go up to Bill and they go, our pastor was talking about you this morning. <laughs> well, it didn't work against our relationship. Actually, it kind of heightened things a little bit and Bill suddenly thought he was a celebrity, you know? <laughs> and uh, it's so funny because the next time I went shopping at Costco, he was working at the, uh, the door. He sees me across the parking lot and yells, hi, Bryce, you know, and uh, and, th and I, I could tell that, um, that that deepened things a little bit. And uh, so we've had some conversation. It's interesting. Uh, I'll see him in the store, and he's always in a rush. And so um, he'll run by, but, but it's almost as if he's trying to justify himself with me because I'm a pastor. And he'll, he'll say something like, well, I believe in God, and then he just rushes off, you know. I, one time he said that. And honestly, you know, I was trying to think of something smart and nothing smart came out of my mouth. And I go, well, he believes in you too. <laughs> like, wow, that's really, that's really deep, isn't it? Yeah. Later, I just like, should have kept my mouth shut. But, but he said this before too. He goes, you know, I just try and live a good life and that's all you can do. And then he always goes, right? As he's rushing away. <laughs> it's like... What do you say? You don't have the opportunity, you know? So three weeks ago, I'm in Costco, and I can tell Bill wants to talk to me, and he goes, hey, hey, are you still a pastor? I guess he wanted to know if I still had some credibility to handle his <laughs> deeply spiritual conversation. And he comes over to me, and um, in kind of hushed tones, he was talking about, you know, uh, we have s some family members that have passed on, and, and um, and I could tell he wants to know what kind of security is there for the future. And uh, he made the comment, he said, well, you know, they lived a live good life. And that's really all you can do, right? Now, here's my moment, because I, I, he wasn't rushing off. And I thought, okay, you got a little elevator opportunity right here. And so... Um, I said to Bill, I said, I believe the Bible states that our good works aren't going to make us right with God at all. It's not about our doing. It's about what Jesus has already done for us when he went to the cross. 
And we're right with God when we put our trust in what Jesus did for us and we receive it as a free gift by faith. That's all I said. That's all I had time for. Now, I realize you might be saying, oh, you missed a few points of the gospel. <laughs> I only had so much time. The elevator was getting off at the 10th floor, you know? Um, but here's the thing. I, I did want to put some kind of a rock in Bill's shoe. I want to give him something to think about. And I hadn't had that opportunity before. So I felt like that was a good opportunity. And I don't want to preach. I don't want to preach to Bill. Um, I want to accept him where he's at. But it's interesting because I see this merit system. At least this is what he's thinking is, you know, if I just live good, I'm going to be fine. My future's secure. Now, my friend doesn't go to church, but there are many inside the church that may not realize they have an unbiblical view of salvation. And it goes something like this. You know, if I believe in God and I, I'm a good person, I'm going to end up in heaven one day. That's really bad theology. That's not biblical. In fact, Ephesians 1 says it this way, um, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. If it's something that you could work for, we could all be bragging that we accomplished our own salvation. And really, if it's something that we could work for, Jesus certainly didn't need to come to earth to go to the cross. If we could do it on our own, the cross would be an unfortunate accident. No, it's by grace you've been saved. It's what Jesus has done. It's not what you have done. So it challenges our view of salvation, and it challenges our view of others. You know that grace extended to us is the same grace we should extend to others. And God has been so amazingly generous to us. And he calls us to live out that same kind of love. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus is our example of how we're to love sacrificially, giving ourselves for others. I love how it says in Ephesians 1, 7, and 8, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, the riches of God's grace that He lavished. This whole concept of lavish is overflowing. His grace has overflowed on us. And it's out of that overflowing grace that we are to love others as well. I know some of you might be thinking, you know, it's hard to love some people. Maybe we've even came across in our own experience some what I would call crusty Christians. <laughs> let, me, let me give you a word. This is really off my notes. So this, this, could be, this could be taking a risk and I might not see you again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't think Pastor Jason watches my messages anyway. So we're We're okay. Don't tell him anything. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. You know, think about this. Um, when people come to Christ, they come from a whole lot of different backgrounds. They might have started way back here, and you might have started right here. They might still be working through stuff from their past. 
hurts, uh, losses, you name it. Um, a little perspective. But we're all in spiritual formation. None of us have arrived. And I think, I think a good prayer, if you're one of those crusty Christians, and if you're not a crusty Christian, a good prayer is to say, God, so overwhelm me with your grace that I have that same kind of overwhelming grace to others. Change me. Or may the, the mark of my life be, be a deep, deep love for other people, a love that, that uh, draws people, a love that so much looks like Jesus that lives are changed, that relationships are formed, that there's spiritual opportunity. Amen? I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful God's not fair. <laughs> I could probably even come to love that statement, the first will be last and the last will be first. He's so much more. He's patient, generous, compassionate, kind, and overflowing with grace. And God owes us nothing. God owes us nothing, but he has graciously given us all things. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for uh, just this simple story that you told to make your point clear. Your kingdom works differently than our cultural mores and our own way of thinking. And you challenge us. You challenge us to, to follow you more deeply to be overwhelmed by your grace and to recognize that we have earned nothing, but you have given us all things. It's not about our earning. It's not about our effort. It's about what Jesus has done that is truly our righteousness. We stand on Christ and Christ alone. Lord, remind us of these things. Remind us of these things when we're tempted to get into our performance and think that's what makes us right. May we come back to Jesus and say, I'm only right because of Jesus. I'm only right because of what he's given to me. Lord, I pray as we uh, continue to live out our faith, may we live out of a full cup, uh, an overflowing cup of your grace, and may that spill out onto others in our lives. So Lord, continue to work this into our hearts and into our practical everyday lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.